hear you. Everything is good. Is there not an echo or anything? No, no, no. You smell, sound smooth as ice, as twice as ice, brother. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So, so, so look, a couple things. One, I got action as far as this show. I didn't have beef when I saw it. As I think about it, I got a little beef. I, I like it. I don't want to go into that early. Mm. Okay. I want to do like we normally do. Newsman Skip here sitting here with the homeboy Stanford, a.k.a. Mr. Firm Handshake, a.k.a. One Leg and Two Feet. Okay? Here <laughs> off some hot D. Yeah. Let's, let's... If you ain't seen Game of Thrones, log out. If you ain't seen this week's episode of Hot D, log out. And not the one starring Johnny Sins. We're talking about House of the Dragon. Okay? There you go. (laughs) So, look, good brother. Are we working forward or backward? How do you want to do this episode, man? You know, the the inside baseball is this is a (laughs) re-record. Listen, this is the record. The record, right? This This is the record. So let's not get confused here. I mean, let's Um, start. Let's start backwards. You want you want to go backward? Yeah, to change things up. Everyone goes chronologically. Let's go reverse. So, so do we want to get into the episode specifics, or do we want to talk about like overall production level stuff? How do you want to start? Epi- episodic content or production? Let's go episode episodic for now. Okay. All right. Um. Any thoughts on the crab feeder? Is that his name? Yes. What I think that's his last name, or maybe his nickname that's also become a last name because half of Westeros don't have real last names, right? <laughs> well, right. Right. Everybody, everybody's like Prince, right? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Excellent point, right? So it's the first real major existential antagonist we've been introduced to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we think about season one, they fed us the White Walkers within the first seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We already had somebody to, waiting in the wings. I feel like we've been so tight through episode one of Hot D that it was kind of nice to have someone outside of the the small council chambers i feel like 80 percent of what we looked at is in the same room it felt like there are times where it feels like 12 angry men no definitely someone texted me like a lot of small council question mark and it, it made me think because it's house of the dragon right game of thrones yeah we had all these houses and they're like all right they're interacting they're gonna come together we got danny off in essos but then there's kind of a flashback to the wall then we get a little bit but here it's been like we've been in King's Landing and we've been with the same five characters, right? <laughs> I mean, well, maybe seven. What's well, funny, to your point, right? You, you look at season one Game of Thrones. They pulled us back to 60,000 feet early. And mm-hmm. we were like, even from episode one, we were looking at four to five plot lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening over here, right? And so, you know, we got to see the expanse of Westeros, right? And part of me wonders, I'll come back to that. Remind me to come back to that. To, to, keep, it on, to keep it on point, 
the only thing that's become completely clear for me as far as a small council is that they have a work from home crisis. <laughs> this return to work thing ain't working for them. Okay. The personalities do not mesh in person. Uh, some of those meetings, I look at them, I'm like, could this have been a raven? Ooh. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, you know. I imagine the people that aren't King Viserys, Otto Hightower, and Corliss are like, are they just going to argue in front of us again? <laughs> Dude. Dude. Right. It's like, it's like I got to be here for every one of these arguments. I- I'm ornery. I get the sea snake for getting annoyed all the time. I get it. It's like, dude, I got to come to all these meetings. My freaking Google calendar is a mess. And it's just like small council, small council, small council. Like lunch, brothel, small council, small council. I think it was amazing. There's one random moment where it was like, I called an emergency small council meeting when the Damon news got released. And I'm like, another one? Another one? <laughs> yeah, man. And the worst part about it, He's sitting there, right? He's sitting there with his uh, soon-to-be main squeeze. And um, they're like, what's it about? He's like, oh, you got to marry somebody, dog. You got anybody in mind? <laughs> you know, he's like, shit. You've been thinking about this just a little bit? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, look. <laughs> look. And I promised myself I wasn't going to make any R. Kelly jokes. Wait, wait, let's not even do this. I had, I, I we, 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 we fast forwarded past the crab feeder, and I had a different oh, okay, type yeah, of thing yeah, okay, that I wanted to get to. Okay, okay are crab, you ready for this? Feeder. The feeder of crabs. Talk to me. So this, I'm, this might be too broad of a take, but I remember last year when No Time to Die, right, mm-hmm. the last of the Daniel Craig Bond films came out. I enjoyed. April. Yeah, it was a bit ago. I think it was last year, maybe. I, I'll take your word for it. No Time to Die, James Bond. I did not Google this when it came out. But I remember at the time it came out, there was some conversation of, this is the mini, mini, mini spoiler. We're not going to spoil the movie. But like in that film, like a lot of James Bond films, the villain had some type of, I guess, eclectic body disfigurement. I don't know how to describe it, right? They're, they're either missing an eye or they got like burn marks, right? Yeah. And someone said, and I remember someone saying, you know, it's like disability rights community or some community saying, you know, it's not great. That we're always putting the disabled, disfigured person as the villain. Okay, so this is my problem with woke culture. Okay. Okay. Oh wow! Yeah, let's 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 do I, it. This is my problem with the libs. Okay. <laughs> we have society mm-hmm. as a society. We have a predisposition to concern, uneasiness, and in some cases, fear around disfigurement, monsters, things that go bump in the night. Mm-hmm. When those literary devices are invoked for the purpose of storytelling, mm. right? we can't immediately make it, okay, this is a slant against handicapped people, right? Because when it's the boogeyman, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, or anyone else we can talk about, Jaws, right? Or to your point, the, the antagonist in No Time to Die, right? We want this person to be scary. The White Walkers are disfigured, okay? Tyrion Lannister, the Hound, the Mountain, right? It, it, it's been done already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this selective woke outrage makes me sick. Okay. Like, enough, okay? Let, wow. Let's not go on a crusade to find things to be upset about. <laughs> okay, that's okay. all I'm so I, right, that's... I thought you were going to bring up his mask. Like, it looks 
and we had weird angles. Mm-hmm. It kind of looked like a harpy mask that might have washed ashore. Oh. It, right? It, you know, the, the points kind of reminded me of that. But the crab feeder. Well, do you want to do you want the inside the episode? Little gave us some more information about the crab feeder. We're not going to go there. Okay, let's get it. Let's get can't it. Take for granted that people watch that. That is very true. That, that is very that's true. That's obtuse. Okay, um, <laughs> but, but the crab feeder, you know, wouldn't be my first choice in a name. You know, it's interesting. Does he feed crabs? Is he just a good Samaritan? I have lots of crab pets, or does he feed people to crabs? I think we need like we need an Oxford comma somewhere. I think it's a distinction without a difference. I think <laughs> I think if you're the crab feeder, you've got challenges. Okay, so like, look, I don't know where Peta's role is in Westeros. Can't be much. Okay, so I don't think he's <laughs> points for feeding crabs. I think he's just mushing people to crabs. And it's funny because to link it, the first clip of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. I thought we were seeing. At first, I thought we were seeing the return of White Walkers because it looked like a zombie moving, animating. And then I said, okay, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's the Stone Men mm-hmm. from the Smoking Sea. But that wasn't it either. It was just these crabs, right? Which, which makes me wonder, if he's the crab feeder and he does it to his prisoners in the Stepstones, does he bring the crabs with him and just starve them? Or does he bring people back to like a starving crab beach? Because either way, it just feels like it's a lot of work for a gang. It's pretty lot. And then how do you, the crabs have to be hungry all the time? Right. Well, I don't know what their hunger tolerance is. Like I've never starved a crab before. Okay. Let's send a raven to the maesters. Figure out. (laughs) Right. I I can't imagine they know. I mean, they were treating your boy with maggots. So. So so, all right. So so we got the crab feeder. As we work our way back, big got, reveal. Yeah, that was a big reveal. We got before that. I guess the penultimate scene is basically Damon's pitch, or Damon being pitched. My bad. He was basically the shark in Shark Tank, listening to yeah. Corliss, <laughs> right? Um, and I was talking about how the world being small. I was like, oh, we're in Driftmark, and then I was like, oh, but we're just in the room. We're not seeing the castle. We're not seeing the shores or the people. Yeah. It reminds me. It reminded me of. Well, I'll put a pin in that. When we get when we get to production stuff, I, I want to talk about that. Um, I didn't hear the whole pitch. Didn't seem impressive. Got to tell you. I mean, look, you're the oldest house. It, it, you're the oldest house in Valyria. You have the queen that was never crowned, right? Mm-hmm. You have two kids. You try to sell the king on the value of keeping Valyrian blood so they can mm-hmm. be dragon riders, mm-hmm. and him taking a new child to a new heir, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't sell the king, and now you're trying to sell Damon Targaryen. Here's, here's why that was surprising to me. It was not surprising that he went to Damon, right? Because he was just mad. It was surprising that he was the most vocal person supporting Damon's succession. And now once he anointed Rhaenyra, right, mm-hmm. as, as his successor, then it seems like the sea, the sea snake was like, oh, I guess it's open season. So let me try to get a boy out of this and get my family, the successors, the Iron Throne too. But he made a comment about being the most, the most wealthy house in the Seven Kingdoms. 
So it's like I, I, I totally get him being confused if his wealth isn't doesn't make a good case for him and his family mm-hmm. isn't consented and his wife doesn't get the doesn't get the crown, the queen that was never crowned. And now the widowed grieving king doesn't want to marry their kid to join their houses. Now he's going to Damon Targaryen basically with his cap in his hand, right? He's like he's like a beggar king, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think we got a small glimpse of that, you know, when Damon said, Hey, I can talk bad about King Viserys, but you cannot, sir. <laughs> and shout out to him for being a real one with that because yeah. it's it's kind of like it's kind of like when your friend comes to you and they're complaining about their significant other. And mm-hmm. you join in, they're like, yo, we'll sort out, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I, th- I thought it was a party. It's I thought funny. we were doing this. <laughs> and, and like, we're not doing this together? Always slips. It's always something that slips. It always turns into like, they say something like, oh, you know, this, this, this. And like, yeah, man, that's they're, they're mad mid anyway. And I was like, whoa, like, well, what do you mean? So, so shout out to Damon for keeping it a real one. I appreciated that about him. Uh, and it also speaks to his loyalty, right? Because even as we go backward, because because Damon's basically a tantruming kid, right? Mm-hmm. Even as we go backward, and there's that scene at Dragonstone, it's like everything Damon did in the episode was kind of for nothing. He won his brother's attention, didn't get it, and then just like here, here, take the egg back. It's fine. He was he took some big L's, some big gambles, and some big losses. He's is he the loser of the episode? We'll get to awards later. We'll get to awards later. Let's keep going. We'll get to awards. Okay. I mean, him and Corliss were kind of like the... Actually, Corliss, I thought I was the loser of the episode, but maybe it was you. We'll have to give out superlatives if we get through the content. Okay, biggest okay. winners and biggest losers we got to go through. So, so what, well, came, what came before that? I think... Was it the air announcement was before that? When we have the moment where it's like... It the spouse announcement. Spouse, you're right. Spouse, spouse. Yeah. That was, there was a lot. And, you know, you have this beautiful father-daughter. We're both experiencing grief. We haven't really talked to each other. I understand you're the king. You have duties that are beyond just like our family love. You know what? I'm in pain. I'm glad to hear you're in pain. Take take a spouse. I'll be okay with it. And then we show up to the small council meeting. Never ask. (laughs) I thought you'd never ask. Right? It's, It's kind of like it's the reverse of Doctor Strange and Infinity Wars. He picked the one scenario where Rhaenyra would be unhappy. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. You know, and it's it's funny because we need to talk about culpability. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is what I'm curious about from the listeners. Please, please send us a shout out. Let us know what you think. Was it was it her responsibility to tell Rhaenyra, her friend, that she's like, listen, I've been trying to bag your pops for like six months, kid. Because we have our time skip in the episode, so six months have gone by. Is is that was it her job to do that? Yeah, that's my question. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I'm torn between women don't have agency in this world, being pushed to do things by men, i.e., her father in this case. But also, I don't know. That's your bestie that you hang out with for hours a day, every single day for six months. Maybe that first night, maybe that first week, you don't have agency. You're caught in a weird place. After six months, you're going down. The stonemasons know you're hanging out with them. They're like, wait a minute. Only other person I know carving dragons like this is, oh, the king. Hmm. The stonemasons know you're hanging out with them, but not your bestie. You think Alice has to talk a flea bottom? Yeah. (laughs) 
It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, I fixed the stone for the king, right? Who brought it to me? Alice in Hightower. She wasn't, uh, she was dressed to impress. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I just feel like you can't go six months trying to bag your friend's pops and just not say anything. Here's the real question. What, we're not guessing, and we're talking about a 15-year-old with doesn't have a lot of agency. At what point did Allison realize she's bagging the king? Do you think she knows night one when her dad kind of forces it? When, when her father tells her to wear her dead mother's dress and get dressed up to go see the king, she knew then. Okay, remember, mm-hmm. she's of age. Because as we know, in this universe, the ripe old age of 14 means you're ready to be bed. Right? Yeah, that was... That was an unsettling scene. I know we're not there yet, but oh my goodness. The only thing I would say is when you think about sliding scale of maturity, mm-hmm. right? lower life expectancy in most cases, poor medicine, poor technology. They're 14 years old compared to Gen Z standards. It's like 27. <laughs> okay, so so I'm I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's from a societal perspective, it would have been very different in terms of maturity. Like, even if we look at our grandparents, right? Like, my grandfather, by 22, had, like, fought in World War II, taken a wife and been in a second house and had three kids, okay? I'm screaming for people to revive me in Call of Duty, you know, at th- I'm 36. Like, revive! Revive! You, you know, like, like so, <laughs> so I'm just saying that to say, like, the scales tend to slide a little bit, right? So yeah. I don't know. I don't. When we think fourteen, it's not like we're thinking today. Today's fourteen-year-old versus that. I think there was a different level of maturity. Not to say that it changes what your statement is about agency. Clearly, it's low because women are still reasonably property in that, mm-hmm. in that universe. But yeah, yeah, I don't I'm think hearing you. It's hard to balance because I guess you're a full adult, right? That you're the man-grown, woman-grown at sixteen. Which is only two years less than our standards. Well, but then, so how? But then it does seem like fourteen-year-olds are kind of betrothed. Or, well, I think the tough thing is we really we're seeing the royals. We're not really well, seeing what the common, common folk do. Yeah, but, well, it was yeah. common. It was common in the Game of Thrones space, right? So mm-hmm. remember, in the books, Daenerys is fifteen when she wed Khal Drogo. You know, in the show, she was eighteen to twenty, so she still was relatively young. Yeah, the show did age them up. Well, right, for air ability. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, not that everybody loves this, not that never, everybody doesn't love to see something disturbing like that, but um, yeah, the show aged them up. But but in terms of the book, I mean, that's around the age, in the Middle Ages, where you start to see people make those kinds of decisions. Because when you think about it, life expectancy would typically be what? In a place like Westeros, particularly in, the, in King's Landing and like Flea Bottom. 50, 45. So 14 to 18 is like pretty much half their lives in most cases. That's fair. That's assuming you don't get killed by dragons or... Say, that's, that's in peaceful times cloaks, right? they live that long. Right, right. right. <laughs> or gold cloaks, right? So... Yeah, yeah. Let... Something to consider. Okay. So what else? What happened before that? Oh, I, one thing I noticed on the internet, everyone's talking about they really want Allison to get a second dress because she seems to keep wearing that dress in every scene. Look, to be fair, let's assume it's been six months and she has a rotation. Second of all, she's not running to H&M, picking up some quick little $20 throw, right? Like, 
dresses were hard to come by, and her family, despite having what I would imagine would be reasonable wealth, the high towers, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think she would have had a lot of dresses made to wear for the king. Okay. Not without raising eyebrows. That's the other talk of the flea bottom. So not only did I carve her a dragon, she's trying to get a second dress. It's like, bro, you know, it's like, it's like you know, Alice in Hightower's been wearing the same dress for six months, right? <laughs> so like, she smells like dragon piss. I'm just saying. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. So, so we'll see, man. I mean, I, I mean, I'm trying to recall offhand, but I don't remember each scene sequentially. But what scene? What scenes stick out to you? I mean, I think we have got to get to one of the best scenes, the confrontation on Dragonstone. Okay. Okay. So what did you think about that scene? I thought there was so many layers to it. Because at first, the one thing that I kept thinking was Barry's riddle from the original. I don't know if it was, it's in the books. It's def- I think it was on the show. And it's like, where's power, right? Yeah. Like where, power is where men believe power lies, which right. it sounds circular. Yeah. But it's not fully circular. It could be a shadow on the wall, right? If you think that shadow is powerful, you're going to respond. Right. In that scene, you had, you know, the hand. You had all these knights. We're here on authority of the king. And they're coming in kind of strong. Like, we're going to take this egg. You, you're, you're done playing games. The king doesn't even think you're worthy of his time. And then Damon's dragon lands. And the whole tenor, everyone's body language changes. And for one split second, Damon answered Barry's widow. I have the power. Right, and he's holding uh, the sword, the Valyrian steel sword, yeah, mm-hmm. in his pose, which was actually taken from the animation or, or the the sketch of what he looked like on the internet. So it's like it's funny he keeps going his action pose. It's like the two finger pose that Obi Wan does, and like <laughs> Clone yeah. Wars. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, Otto Hightower. I can't imagine how excited he was to go there. And, and deal with the prospect of emasculating him in front of his gold cloaks, which he did, right? I mean, he was, he, he was definitely dressing him down verbally, which is kind of funny uh, when you think about it because the only one playing chess in this game of checkers has been Otto, mm-hmm. right? Otto's been making moves the entire time. And I agree with you. I think once Damon's dragon came, it kind of changed the dynamic. But... I love the lead up to Rhaenyra's dragon, right? When you see like kind of the clouds moving and the mist of Dragonstone and it's on the bridge. And it harkens us back to uh, where Jon Snow first saw dragons for the first time when he went to Dragonstone to appeal to Daenerys. He was on that bridge. And so there's a lot of really good callbacks, I think, in how they connect the stories like yes this is a different story but also this is the same story it's um, the history rhymes it doesn't repeat but it rhymes a bit right 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 um yeah damon total tool gotta tell you total tool. His, I, his, his niece comes and he's just like and yeah, take the egg forget it she was powerful in that scene that was the first time i said oh i think you know in, in sports sometimes they'll pay they'll show a highlight like he's him i was watching that scene like oh she's her She's her. She got the blood of the dragon in that she's moment. Got, she's got the blood of the dragon. You're playing that uh, that you are the master song from like the last dragon with Bruce Leroy. Exactly. <laughs> the master. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, no, she 
And in the process, she totally dressed down Otto Hightower, too, because he was a total chump. Mm -hmm. As soon as he's like, she's your effing swords, I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah. Otto, so you're a talker. You're a big-time talker. I think it comes down to the Targaryen's power. A lot of it is the dragon. It's it's symbolic, and it's also realized. You see them with these magnificent beasts that everyone thinks are uncontrollable, because they aren't. Yeah. And they just, they're natural. Then they speak in the High Valerian. Yeah. It really... Yeah, I guess the pure tongue, not for the commoners, right? Not for the commoners. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I thought it was a really good scene. I was glad for it, right? Uh, because, it, and I'll get to this. Remember, I'll get to this later with production value. But I was, I was glad for it. It was a good scene. It was fun. Again, a lot of talking. This was definitely a table setting episode. Surprisingly. We haven't gotten to war meetings yet, but <laughs> there was a lot of talking around the table. Listen, well, and remember, right? So kind of like I talked about last episode, right? A lot of these shows, their hallmark is it's people talking in rooms, right? And that's what keeps its appeal and in, in out of the fantasy space and very much in the relatable space for a lot of viewers and fans that are not fantasy heads. You know, I mean... I mean, if you remove the garb and just play it, right, and just and just play the episodes or just play the audio tracks, indistinguishable succession from Game of Thrones, from Sopranos, from some of the other shows, right? And that's really what really hooks people. So, in fact, they, they don't even really get into fantasy speak. The only time I can think of that they that they even said something that sounded like, okay, this isn't contemporary was like when when he announced that he was marrying Alice in Hightower, he starts off with like good morrow, which I'm like, okay, like, well, I'm saying that's different. <laughs> you know, like, cause none of them talk like that. Yeah. None of them are like, Oh, come hither, my Lord. Like, like none of them have talked like that this entire show. And all of a sudden he's standing tall, like, Oh, good morrow, everyone. I'm like, all right. Good morrow. All right. Now I've been waiting for this moment because we're on Dragonstone. I want to get back to be trying to defend the prophecy. That was revealed to us in episode oh one. God. I got to try to defend the prophecy. I've been okay. sitting on this. I've been sitting on this. You know, back in Game of Thrones, season seven, yeah. when John is recruiting Danny to join the coalition to save yeah. the living against the dead, he's he's mining. He's mining that dragon glass on Dragonstone, and he discovers cave paintings of White Walkers, children of the forest. You know why he discovered them on Dragonstone? Because the Targaryens it? knew. The Targaryens knew of this prophecy okay. and they were preparing for it. Okay. They could have written it themselves or seeing that could have prompted Danny's the dreamer to have another one of her prophetic dreams. And that's why they kept that knowledge and passed it down from, I guess, monarch to monarch. Okay. And it makes it, it makes it a little bit, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably a retcon, but it makes it a little bit less of a retcon and more in line of what we know. So, so yes, I'm with you in a retcon. Okay, you lose me with 85 percent of that <laughs> because even if, for the sake of this conversation, right? No, no, I'm not. I'm not even gonna go down that road. Okay. Bottom line is, when the children of the forest, and now, and now we're getting, and, and folks, for the folks listening, we're in real geek territory here. Okay. Yeah, you can you can put the podcast up one point five speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so just just to, just to get this flat for you, even if right, no, no, the children of the forest 
when they made the the issue with why they were losing was that the first men's weapons were steel and they were no match for them because they were still using stone weapons and magic. So the children of the forest struggled because there were so many men. So they used man's numbers against them and created the White Walkers and basically said, okay, if this infection will spread, right, then we could turn man's numbers against them, but the White Walkers were not controllable. Mm-hmm. The children of the forest knew that dragon glass, right, could could help them. And so they helped them. They worked with the first men to fashion dragon glass weapons. Dragon glass is mined in dragon stone. So no, I don't because that happened before the pact at the god's eye and, and what lands a man could have and what lands the children keep and that the and that the weirwood trees are kept sacred. All that happened. Thousands of years before the Targaryens fled Dragonstone to come to Westeros, which means those drawings would have already been there by the people who were there. That's probably accurate. But no. what if a Targaryen saw that? And it's like the whole, all right, you can have prophetic dreams. Or what if like touching or seeing something sparks prophetic dreams, like sparks the vision? We're thinking going back to your youth, that's so Raven, right? She touches the ball and then... She has the vision of what the ball happens at the end of the episode. Got a couple of things. One, that's your youth. I'm 36. Second of all, <laughs> um, if a Targaryen sees that and, and they style bite it, right? It doesn't make them prophetic. It just makes them like a current Gen Z rapper, right? <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not giving them any stroke for that either. All right. But look, it's a fun theory unanswerable question so i'm not going to wholly dismiss it but I, I i think there's just not enough meat on the bone there you know that's that's what the show's for the hot take theories listen listen I'm, i i support all hot take theories i do but uh yeah i, I the one you're giving me i i can't see it they'd have to do more retconning to make that fit in that's what i would say all right you heard that hbo more retcons that's what the fans are asking for get out get out there and retcon it so, what else? What else about the episode? What what other scenes stick out for you? Well, we finally got the scene between the queen that never was and the queen that might just happen. Yeah, lackluster dialogue. I I, I just I felt like it'd be more cutting. You know, it wasn't super tense. Wasn't really well written. Um, just kind of felt like, eh, like very much like kind of like reverse wokeism. It's kind of like, oh, we're women and women can't have shit. It's like, oh, well, they want me. It's like, well, I bet you they won't. And scene. I'm like, eh. I think it's a type of that. that they had to write because, you know, Rhaenyra's, I think, is like sympathetic. She wants to see a woman actually gain that power. But she's also cynical because, I mean, she was at the Great Council and was not chosen. So she also wants to tell Rhaenyra, hey, you seem like you have a lot of high hopes and I want to I want to ease your, ease your hopes. But then maybe it's like jealousy. Like I should have been it. Jealousy. And now you're named heir. So there's like jealousy. And you're trying to get all of that into one scene. And I don't know if they captured all of the emotions. I'm glad that they had the scene of them talking. It seemed like, you know, finally an episode passed the Bechdel test. Also too... Okay. Okay. Another thing. Another pin. Remind me. Another pin on the show production bandwagon. Okay. 
Uh, we got to open a page two on the Google Doc. All these yeah. Let me tell you something. Because I, I have thoughts. I have, I have thoughts from the production perspective. Yeah, no, I thought the scene would have been better. It was fine. You know, I, and it's... The, the thing we have to get flat with is that they're not going to tear the cover off the ball every episode. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be that way. This is uh, somewhat related to production, and now we're getting to the last moments, but the way... They did it a subtle... Letting us know it's been six months since your wife died. You need to get, you need to remarry. Yeah, like if you missed that, you wouldn't, if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't miss that. Do you think that was too subtle of a time skip? I can't, you know, we already have like all the Targaryens have the exact same name and trying to follow that. Dude. And now we have like three, three words being, hey, there's a time skip. It's been six months. Yeah. And if you like, yeah. <laughs> if that I was mean, the scene you were refilling your water, you didn't even know I, there's I a time a, skip. I think a second scrolling marquee would have been useful in the situation of time skips. Um, it also makes you wonder if they're going to time skip every episode. Uh, but all, but then again, they can't play with it too much because this show will almost certainly be extended two, if not three more seasons. Right? And who knows, maybe more. I mean, but... Theoretically, House of the Dragon, you can just cover every known history. You can just, you can just take this right up into the beginning of Game of Thrones, right? The theoretically. Yeah. Um which I would have loved to see like a young Jamie Lannister embarrassed and sell me, by the way. <laughs> Just like when they're in the fullness of their power, I would love to see that. Uh, it's the Kingswood Brotherhood or something. But other nerd, other nerd factoid. Other nerd factoid. So. I guess the other big moment. The let, other... Let's, 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 let's do the last big moment, then I want to do superlatives, and then I'm going to get into production. This is probably a medium moment, but at the beginning when the air is still nothing more than a cupbearer at the small council. And going back to oh mistakes yeah. that King Viserys <laughs> makes, letting them be like, oh, my air, you should just go on, little girl. If that's your named heir, that's like a six months, a year away from being, you know, woman grown, they should be in the small council meeting. Like Dude, learning how to run a country. Bro, sending her to bed was hilarious. She's like, oh, we have dragon riders. We could do this. So, like, why don't you go pick out a new a new king's guard? <laughs> why don't you go do that? Um, I thought that that was an incredible moment for King Viserys to totally undermine and disincentivize people from listening to her. I mean, it's essentially, he's unwittingly, which he seems to be lacking a lot of wit. He's unwittingly steering people away from listening to her, which is disappointing. Completely unexplainable. I'm like, what right. are you doing, bro? <laughs> right. Because he he blames King Jaehaerys for the animosity that's that's bubbling, and yet he's creating such animosity in the way that he handles Rhaenyra, particularly how she's addressed in front of everyone else. Because there's a lot in King's Landing. There's a lot of folks in King's Landing, in particular me as a viewer, that thinks, okay, well, did you just name her to spite your brother because you're upset? You know, there's just not a lot of evidence. That he didn't in, uh, episode before, Damon said, you never asked me to be your hand. You've been king, I think he said 10 years. You never asked yeah. me to be your hand. And now I'm thinking, once you name Rhaenyra your heir, maybe you should name her hand. Or like whatever the least powerful position is on the small council. Well, you should probably name her something important so that she's seen in a role of leadership and it can actually learn some of the skills. Well, 
some of the skills that King Viserys himself never learned. Yeah. Yeah, interesting interesting use of resources. I mean, let's just say King Viserys' draft picks have not been solid. <laughs> okay. Yeah, who, who he's escalating to a 10-day and who he's not, not been solid. Just saying. Some questionable coaching choices, some questionable draft picks. You know, it's been two episodes. I don't want to drop his stock this early, but, you know, I get a little nervous. You know, we're writing down the living ranking of Targaryen kings, and it's like every single day. It's like, oh, well, maybe. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't want to drop a stock too early again. It's been two episodes, but you know, some red flags, some red flags. So, biggest winners. I mean, Otto Hightower. I mean, he's running through the ribbon literally like Usain Bolt and then race he started late. He's just like, oh, this is amazing. Basically, him and Corliss are the only one that know if there's a game happening, and Corliss is just losing. <laughs> oh, Corliss isn't good at the game. No, Otto Hightower is great. He gets to be handed the king, so he's not in the crosshairs of other people. He's slow. He's sending his daughter to seduce the king has worked. Six months is a long long con in the Game of Thrones, right? That's worked. He got Damon ousted from the court. It's perfect. It's perfect. You know, to me, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. If, if I'm Otto, I'm winning and I'm winning and I'm winning again. And then when Damon pulled his card and Otto pulled their swords, they okay, so I'm going to have to try to kill this dude. I'm waiting for this. But Otto knew he was too old to try to step to Damon anyway. Damon had a lot of fighting prowess. Yeah, someone said, does the hand have hands? Probably not. No. No. I mean, he's an old man. But I tell you, how happy was he to have that little girl show up with her dragon? So now, he's like, now he doesn't have to get exposed for not having hands. He, he was mad at first. Then he said, wait a minute. Can we get this and egg back? works out beautifully. No battles? He's, he's winning and winning and winning again. Uh, biggest loser. Now I know we were kind of going back and forth on this. Can we say friendship? Rhaenyra and Alicent. They're leading to, you know, a lot of a lot of TV shows. They do the the women friendship breakup. Yeah. That seemed like a that seemed like a moment in time. I'm gonna go friendship is biggest loser. I think. Then maybe Corliss is this, is the second biggest loser, and then Alicent's like in the middle. She's like, maybe she's winning, but she also doesn't have agency. This wasn't her decision. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out there. You know, heavy is the sort of, de, sort of Democles, Democles. I never know how to pronounce that word. But she's yeah. getting higher up in the Game of Thrones. And it's like, oh, is this great for her? <laughs> is this great for her? Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I agree with your picks. I agree with your picks. I mean, absolutely. I, I agree. I think you nailed it. I think, I think your picks are 100% accurate. Well, well, thank you. Good, sir. Um, as we wind down, I got to talk about production. Okay. I have this thing about, about shows like these, prequels in particular. And so, look, we all know that the season opener is the big kabam, right? It's, it's the big thing. But for most people, it's the second, third, and fourth episodes that make you decide if you're going to stick with the show, right? I know it's early. I know it's early. But this show was very table-setting. 
and the rhythm of the show, I think, has been pretty clear in in terms of how they produce it, because these aren't expensive episodes, right? They're expensive. They're paying at least ten million bucks an episode. Okay, so essentially, it's contending with the last several seasons of Game of Thrones, and from a price point perspective. So, what does that mean as fans? It means you get some dragon scenes and you get some a lot of scenes in the small council. <laughs> a lot a lot of stationary set pieces that you can use where it's relatively cheap to film those scenes. And then you'll give me some shoddy looking dragons for two minutes. Reproducing so sets. In, in literally zoomed out angles at dragons. So you don't even see them. You just see kind of a wing and kind of a head bobbing and kind of a wing and is every episode they come and say, "Hey guys, I, the, the the dragon CGI has already taken up ninety percent of the budget. What are we going to do?" And then it's like a sticker, slap in another small council scene. Yeah, like 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 it's it, we need we need more small council scenes, <laughs> right? Like we could just fill us up with small council scenes. So that that was an early observation for me. Okay. Um, can I be a little bit more forgiving? It's House yeah, of the I mean, Dragon. We. They're going to expand the world eventually? Question mark. Well, well, we 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 know, we know they are now because they they they're ranting and raving about the stepstones. So this will be the first set piece introduced, right? And, and excuse me, the first destination introduced in the show. So as I mentioned before, with Game of Thrones, we were following four or five plot lines across territories. We had Daenerys in Essos before she was, and then we saw Vos Dothrak. We saw the wall and the white walkers and we saw King's Landing all in episode one. And we saw some story, some storylines happening. And so you have these multiple locations and multiple tags. And it was inconceivable that they all wouldn't cross swords before the end of season one. You know, it's, for, for us as a casual viewer here now with Game of Thrones, now we're more in tune with the understanding of how to watch this show. There is a literacy there. And so we know not to expect certain people to cross right away because we 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 just more experienced with how you watch this style of storytelling. But that said, yeah, it's expensive, and the way that's going to look like is the cadence is going to be, I think, what we've seen: some really small, inexpensive scenes to shoot, and then saving budget for some big, spectacular finales as we work our way down the stretch of the show. That's what I think. If those small scenes are more. Rhaenyra and Damon's conversation at Dragonstone, I'm with it. If it's some of the other conversations, while important, seems a bit, all right, more small council. Can we then get it? it? <laughs> you, know, you know, to your point, down the stretch, we, we see King Viserys talking to some rando in the small council. Actually, I think my notes were, maybe, you know what? Hey, we're casuals. I was like, I didn't get this guy's name, but what the heck? He should be hand. <laughs> were my notes when that guy popped up. I was like, I like him. He tells the truth. He's honest, doesn't have an agenda, and still refers to you as your grace. That's the yeah. perfect small council member. Well, it, but I tell you, this is the first time, well, second time, we're, we're getting the hand of the king that we deserve, right? So the hand of the king in Game of Thrones was a scheming and maniacal position. And who who better than Tywin Lannister, right? I think there are none. But Otto Hightower has been thrown over 90 for these first two innings. 
right? <laughs> so, so I appreciate that. It is funny to me to look at him because this is also the same guy that played the freaking lizard in Spider-Man and like Nigel Gruff from The Replacements. So it's funny to see him like as this very like regal, poised, like elegant figure when I'm like thinking of him like in the locker room scene in The Replacements where he's like, <laughs> like grabbing his like crotch to the reporter, right? It's the same guy. So, so it's, it's fun to see that from him. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting introduced to more territories. I will tell you that, right? Because as I mentioned, if our cadence is going to be dragon, dragon, small council, small council, small council, private chambers, small council, private chambers, brothel, dragon, then I, I want to see more territories. Take, take us to the sea stone chair right or the driftwood throne right and and this is what i mean by spending up the budget the travel to there the site of that location and the lead up to him walking the room are all off screen because it's expensive so now it's just those two sitting around a fireplace in a dimly lit room and we're supposed to take for their word that that's where they are you know Honestly, uh, similar to the time skip if you yeah. missed you're here in Driftmark as I'm pitching you. That's basically right. what his line was. If you missed that one part of the pitch, that could have just been in King's Landing. Or, or in some brothel. Like, it could have been anywhere. You, you know what I mean? So, okay, so we know that he left King's Landing and went all the way back. But my point being, like, it, that's been done before when the show has gotten really expensive. And it makes me think of immediately... It makes me think of a few scenes, but it makes me think of immediately in Game of Thrones when Daenerys was outside of Marine and she was dealing with the second sons and they were trying to figure out how to sack the city. And that entire battle was like off screen or at the battle of Blackwater, right? Blackwater Bay in season two of game of Thrones. When, when Cersei's about to poison her kids, the entire battle with the Lannister army is off screen and Tywin walks in the battles over. We've won. You know, and, and, and these other kind of money saving tricks that we're supposed to step over. And I just feel like with a show this important to the to the franchise, stepping over some of those things so early make me nervous. Now, granted, it's a small thing and granted, it's episode two. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I would just say, like, it's it, things to raise an eyebrow for me. Maybe like, they're saving money for the set for the big set pieces because. One example you actually didn't mention is in season one when Tyrion is being dragged by Tywin to a battle, right? He gets accidentally knocked out at the beginning and then he wakes up like, wait, what happened? Right. So that was another cost-saving move, but that was kind of funny. Right. It was a lot of, of cost-saving moves, you know. And, and I'm glad you brought up Tyrion, I got to tell you. The, the biggest thing that's noticeable for me, well, before I get to that, you mentioned something that has been getting on my nerves they're way too loosey-goosey with the continents. I mean, you got Rainies and Rhaenyra, right? You got Rainies, Rhaenyra, Basira, right? Then you got Melos. Yeah. Melos, Alicent. So, like, yeah, Viserys, Alicent, Corlys, Missaria, Rainies, and Rhaenyra, Right? There's no way people keep those names straight. Okay. Don't forget Leanna. And Le <laughs> <They're> almost. <laughs> right. Like it reminds me of 
it reminds me of when I watched Thor Love and Thunder, which was terrible, which is a different conversation. Okay. Which was terrible. And, the, and for the main characters in the movie, their names were Thor, Thor, Gore, and Kor. And I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So the continents are an issue for me. Um, I need. I think I need Westeros hooked on phonics in order to better <laughs> understand pronunciation. Because some of these pronunciations will seem to change name by name. That's my take. It, it makes me realize that okay, maybe I need to just practice English more. Um, but but to bring it back, to get back on my point, the biggest glaring thing for me that's missing is there is no humor in the show. We are missing funny in a big way, and it really highlights for me. Like, we don't have a brawn who's funny or a hound who got funny or a Tyrion who's funny. We don't have anybody to kind of bring levity to the moments or to kind of give us the viewer's perspective of what those moments are and to kind of say the things that viewers are thinking. There's nobody like that in the show. It's just a moody, broody show. And because of that, it makes pacing a challenge. Here's my question. Is that a mistake or is that on purpose and we should start stealing our hearts? Because even because Game of Thrones is brutal at times, it but it had humor. It if there's no humor here, should, is it saying it's going to get even more brutal? Like, should we get prepared for that? Well, maybe. But my concern is if it's this, if it's this intense and this broody, what's the probability that people don't just get sick of the show? You know, I mean, if, if it's... It, feel, it feels like Game of Thrones was always dark and it was full of shades of gray, right? The night was dark and full of terrors. We know that. But you still had things that you could laugh at. Like Tyrion, Tyrion was funny. And although he was an important character, he was always funny. Varys would say funny things. You know, there, you had characters that had that dry, like English wit that you could kind of rely on. Braun was funny. You don't have any of that in this show. And it kind of makes you wonder, okay, are we not introduced to those figures because of because we've already know that this show is gonna time skip and we'll get them later? Or is this just a moodier show that we're supposed to accept at face value? Kind of like the latter four Harry Potter films, where they just got darker and darker and darker. Now they're not funny at all. Now it's just everybody's miserable. Well, Skip, I have to ask you, did you not notice the wigs? That's the humor. The wigs are the humor. I tell you, you in these wigs, you in these wigs. So, but but you know what? I will tell you this. After you said it, I couldn't stop looking at them. <laughs> I couldn't stop looking at them. And when I go at uh, the queen who was never crowned Rainies, and I see her like hair outfit thing, and her hair is like pointing out and back, and I'm sure it's anatomically correct for the Middle Ages, but. I'm like, she's got a bad wig and it's shaped funny. Come on, bro. Come on, man. But um, any, fi- any final thoughts, man? Any, any final thoughts on the episode? Any predictions as we go into episode three? What do you think is going to happen in the opening 10 minutes? I think I'm going to change my answer. I think battle. Okay. So for the, for the listeners, that's your first and only answer. Battle. Okay. Then we're going to go right into the Stepstones. I think so. I think they're going to be in the Stepstones. Okay. There's going to be some... Well, I think we're going to get one of those things 
that they always do in television and movies where there's going to be them at like a war table explaining their battle plan. And it's going to be getting cut to them actually doing their battle plan at the same time. Or will it be saving money? So you think they're going to be like telling us the battle plan and then it's going to skip to them either winning or losing? Kind of like uh, a la Ocean's Eleven where they kind of lay out the plan and at each time you have the narration overlaid with like the actual act happening. I think that's what's going to happen. That's, 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 okay. that's my prediction. My prediction is big marital fight between Rhaenyra and her father. But you want to do what with what? Like, I think that that's going to be the opening scene. So we'll see. By the way, just quick shout out to you for the overt flex of just wearing your own campaign T-shirt on this podcast. Like, I'm sure that was an accident. Wink. Um, don't forget to vote. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget to vote, folks. Don't forget to go to the go to the Great Council. Okay. So just so you know, you'll, you'll get my vote. But. Um, but yeah, man. No, listen. Uh, this has been fun. This has been good. It's been this been another good one. You know. Listen, we and we'll we'll see who's right and who's dead after we get to episode three of Hot Day. We shall. And hey, if you guys have comments, you know, give us a five star review, and we'll read your comments at a later episode. Yeah, please. Thank you. Thank you. And don't forget to vote. <laughs> don't forget to vote for Stanford. All see right. you guys. Go forth and prosper. <laughs> Peace.